Thank you, Anna. Good morning, church. This is Scott. I'm excited to bring a new series uh, to you today called Simply Joel. Uh, No subtitle, no bells and whistles, just the book of Joel. This is our scripture this morning from Joel 1, uh, 1 through 4. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for your church in this moment of time. We pray, God, that you would take these old words from Joel and make them new again. Uh, Help bring them to life um, in our discipleship journeys as we follow you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Joel 1. Our sermon title today is called, Can I Have Your Attention? Uh, And uh, this big idea. This big idea that I'm going to be developing over the time ahead is that breaking is necessary in order to be, be remade in the image of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Breaking is necessary in order to be remade in the image of Christ. Let me explain. By way of introduction, uh, recently I read Dr. Charles Marmar, chair of Department of Psychiatry at NYU's Grossman School of Medicine, said that Americans are experiencing an epidemic of pathological grief due to the coronavirus pandemic. Taken all together, 30 to 40 percent of the general population are burdened with stress, anxiety, and depression, and a subgroup of three or four million Americans are deeply burdened by the loss of some of those quite severely. So compounded by personal challenges, we're in this time of severe upheaval of social, religious, political realities. Like we get that this week above all weeks. We need to continue to lean on Christ in this unprecedented time. And even the word unprecedented is unprecedented. How annoyed are you with unprecedented? Stop saying it. It's just life right now. And in the midst of this, we're going to talk about Joel We're going to talk about a minor prophet and locust swarms and judgment. I mean, Scott, please, could we just have some good news for once? But listen, the reason that we enter this little book of Joel is we think there's something here for God to reveal to us. Because Joel, he spoke a long time ago to the people of Israel that was looking around at literal physical devastation. And he said, breaking is necessary in order to be remade as the people of God. So when we look around and things look like devastation, the encouragement from Joel is potentially God can work through this judgment in order to change us. There are some words of beauty that come through this book that I can't wait to share with you over the weeks ahead. This little book about judgment and locusts and turning back to the Lord and the day of the Lord, it's got hope for us. Because embedded in this message is a clear path to becoming God's people of confidence and hope, not by denying suffering, but by drawing on the resources of Christ. And for too long as Christians, we we try to make our camp in either denying suffering or, or shaming those that are suffering. And Joel has a different message for us. Can can he have our attention? Can we lean in here that we can hunger for Christ? But the reality is if we drift and if we grow complacent, God does wake us up. God does call us back to himself. 
And so there's this message through Joel 1 about judgment that's really tricky for many of us. The judgment seems to be a way that God can use to make manifest his power in order to restore his love with us. The judgment is used in order to awaken our love story for him. And so you might say, okay, I'm interested, tell me more. Just, just, we're still in the introduction here. Like, this is going to get good. Uh, just by way of introduction, Joel, one of the minor prophets, one of the shortest books of the Bible. Joel, obviously a biblical author who was himself a student of the scriptures. His name, Yoel, in Hebrew means Yahweh is God. People don't know a lot about him. It was the son of Pethuel, whoever he was. We don't know. Uh, Joel was listed about 13 times in the scripture. Now, even when he wrote was a mystery because normally uh, books of of Scripture would kind of, you know, denote what time and framework they were being written in by the king that they were serving under. Not so with Joel. No king was listed. So some scholars say that Joel was a a contemporary of Elisha. Some say contemporary of Ezra. One of Joel's key phrases is the day of the Lord that would be picked up in other minor prophets and by Jesus himself. A word of judgment. It would be spoken of later in scriptures. And Joel, he says, look, if you look to the tragedy of our surroundings, you'll see hope for the future. And so in that way, in the midst of what can feel like, according to Dr. Marmar, unprecedented anxiety and despair, upheaval, uh, Joel says that pain can be our guide. The tragedy can be hope when faith grows. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that as, as someone that's, you know, looking down on the congregation, like we're in this together. But as we turn into Joel, we will be preaching that God is just and at times practices judgment, that God is loving and, and practices mercy. And all of it today is around this theme that breaking is necessary in order to be remade in the image of Christ. So as you hopefully are able to read Joel this week, this morning, whenever you can kind of get into this with us, this is going to make more sense. The judgment, here for our first point, judgment gets our attention. Joel is about judgment, particularly the first half, which kind of runs through the first couple chapters. The judgment gets our attention. How? Through, in Joel's time, locusts. I want to talk to you a little bit about locusts because you're like, oh, okay, let's talk about locusts. Locusts here. There are literally hundreds of subtypes of grasshoppers, but locusts, I didn't know until studying this week, they're a special type of grasshopper, two to three inches long. But they have this superpower. There's a superpower possessed by locusts that enables them to go through this remarkable switch in their development. They, in normal times, they're in their grasshopper phase, acting like a grasshopper, eating walking around solitary until they're mating or whatever else. We'll talk about that at a different sermon. But they're in their grasshopper phase. But something happens in the life of a locust to move them to their gregarious phase. And in their gregarious phase, they go from independent to a swarming type behavior. Uh, Biologists call it phenotypic plasticity. Sounds like something in an Avenger movie. Plasticity, where they can transform and they begin to align with others and they start to go ballistic. And when they're in this frenetic, gregarious phase, billions of locusts will start to travel together, covering hundreds of miles. In 1988, swarms of locusts crossed the Atlantic from Africa to South America. I had never known that. 
And, and they destroy what they, come, what they come against. They can move through, through plastic, through metal at times. Obviously, anything agricultural in the natural world. They eat their own body weight every single day. And so if there's billions of them, the destruction it becomes far and wide. It's incredible. Now, you would probably not be surprised to know this. In 2020, we had an outbreak of locusts. You're like, great, right? Murder hornets, locusts, keep the good news coming, Scott. And now you're preaching Joel about judgment, but stay with me. Just this year, it's incredible to me, locusts, there was a locust swarm in Kenya that was 25 miles long by 37 miles wide, literally billions of locusts. So from this year, there was from Kenya to Pakistan to India, it was the worst in the last 30 years, causing billions of dollars of economic damage. And biblically, there's, there's this, you know, this tradition biblically about locusts. Obviously, the Bible was written in the Mediterranean, North African, Southern European, environmental, uh, susceptible to locusts. The locusts are mentioned over 20 times in scriptures from Exodus to Revelation, including, remember John the Baptist? What was his diet? Honey and locust. It was like the first century paleo diet. And yeah, I worked on that joke all day long, right? But these locusts, I mean, it was, it was part, remember in, in Exodus, uh, the locusts were a big part of Moses' uh, judgment against Pharaoh, how God brought uh, the unjust uh, Egypt, Egyptian Pharaoh uh, out of his wicked ways through locusts. But in Joel, this story turns. And it's like God is saying, I used locusts before against Pharaoh, and now, Israel, I'm using them against you because you've become like Pharaoh. You've become like the very powerful kings we were trying to free you from. And so the locust was like literal destruction. Joel's like, yeah, this thing happened. And everywhere we look is destruction. We were moved from prosperity to despair, not by the Assyrians, not the Egyptians or the Babylonians, but by bugs. It's like God saying, I can use anything in the world to demonstrate my power. I mean, remember in the book of Job, when Job was like wrestling with God, wrestling with God, when God finally shows up to say, you want to talk to me? And he goes through that litany at the end of the Job, beautiful language, he talks about, you know, who, have you seen the storehouses of snow? Have you seen where I, you know, kind of store up the hail and all this and that? God's saying, I am Lord over the entire world. Very interesting in Joel that it is from the natural world that judgment gets displayed. So judgment Like, that's not an easy word for me to preach to you because we don't preach judgment a whole lot. But Joel seems to kind of teach us about the notion of God's justice comes at times in judgment. We like to roll with Romans 8, 28. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? When the pharaohs of our life raise up, we say, God, send the plagues on them. But when we are like Pharaoh, we don't want the plagues. We don't want the bugs. Like, can we just be the good guys in the story always? But if you're like me, I'm not always the good guy. Sometimes I need to be woken up. Sometimes I need to be broken in order to be remade in the image of Christ. Because our sin natures, though we're cleaned and covered by the blood of Christ, there is that in me. Remember what Paul says? There is that in me that I do not do the things that I want to do. It's called my sin nature. 
And so God can use anything in order to wake us up. One theologian said that God will fight against us and clog the joy of our lives until we return our whole hearts to him. And I'm like, ah, I don't, that's a tough one for me. What does the Bible say? 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is a time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That God judges his people not to be mean, but in order to wake up their first love. Judgment then has this place in our lives to call us back to fruitfulness, like a good parent, to wake us up to the way in which God is saying, I have ordered the world in order to be in union with you, in order for you to practice mercy for others, and in order for you to live in obedience. But if you drift, I will call you back. I mean, remember what Jesus says in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Later in the same passage, then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's tough. But judgment is intended not to harm us, but to restore us to return us to where he can, can minister to us, to return us to where our life is, return us to where we know that, that we can live under God's authority in a, in a holistic way. God doesn't judge us to harm us or because we fail to follow the rule book. But when we drift from God as our supreme authority, God says, I will call you back to myself. I will. Joel talks about that, like in Joel 1, he says, if you look around, that there was like verse 7, ash like sawdust, the four different types of locusts come through and they leave everything white. And I didn't know this till this week, but apparently as locust swarms come, that the aftermath, like sawdust from a tree, it actually turns crops white. And so Joel is looking around, he's like, it looks like a bomb went off. I just say to you, church, like, are you, you resonate at all? Do you feel burned out right now? Do you feel like some things are being destroyed right now? Do you feel like you're missing places of God's authority in your life? Then maybe God is just calling you to be remade in his image. Breaking is necessary in order to be remade in the image of Christ. I I, I could tell you stories about this all day long, but the reality is that uh, they're all painful stories. Joel is saying to his people as he looks around, he's like, we don't want to live like this. Verse 12, Joel 1, the vines dried up, fig tree withered, pomegranate, palm, apple tree dried up. Then he says this, surely the people's joy is withered away. The people's joy is withered away. And so he's saying judgment gets our attention. Dry times can wake us up and restore us. And the locus of our life can turn either towards bitterness or towards worship when things burn. That in time, that, that, that brokenness can become vitality. In my own story of love, Heather and I are practicing over 20 years of marriage. We are professionals at being married. We help other people be married, but we've had some really dry times. And I've heard from some of you in the congregation that in relationships, for many of you, the pandemic's been really challenging. I understand that. In, in our life, marriage at times struggling, man, dry, dusty. What did I need? At times I needed, 
I needed to wake up. I needed judgment. I mean, I mean, I could tell you stories like this all day long, but we were married seven years, and we just, we were remodeling a house, and I was working really hard, and I just had this seed of bitterness that I was like really clinging to. And, and man, our marriage was really struggling. And in my mind's eye, what was the problem? The problem was her, right? That's not what the problem was. The problem was I was carrying around anger in my heart, and I hadn't nurtured my emotional connection. I could go on from there. But it wasn't until we started to tell the truth and deal with our brokenness that we could restore our loving relationship. Judgment is necessary at times to wake us up to our first love. That's what Joel is going to point to. And the second big theme here from Joel 1 is that lament can be a pathway back to God's provision. Lament. We don't talk a lot about lament. Lament is an absolute part of our Bible. There is an entire book called Lamentations, Poetry of Lament. We focus on praise. We focus often on hallelujah, but that is part of our stories. And, and a lot of times in the evangelical church, if we're honest, we haven't taught our people how to hurt with God. We say, God will be for you. God will be fighting for you. The Jerichos of your life just, and then when people start to struggle, they're like, where is the God that I was promised? He's never departed. And Joel says the lament can be a pathway back to God's provision. Joel 1, put a sackcloth on and stay there for a while. There seems to be this invitation not to ignore our pain, but to stay there on our knees. He says in verse 5 that we should wake up and weep. You love that? I mean, it's painful, but it's true, right? It resonates. Look at verse 13 and 14 from Joel 1. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar, people of God especially convicted. Teach your people that God is with you in the storm and with you on the mountaintops. Come and spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and then do what? Cry out to the Lord. That in crying out, that in lament, that in saying, God, there's this thing that hurts, there's this dry spot, there's this swarming locust, that it can become a pathway back to provision. Like, that is, that is beautiful. And, and I'll take responsibility. I, like, I need to do a better job helping teach this to you. And I know this is your discipleship stories because so many of you, when you sit with me and say, hey, this is what God's doing, there are certainly, you know, the new job, the new relationship, the, like, God did this thing, but then there's also really painful things that if we turn them to God, God can make those things worship in and of themselves. And Joel says it, God is still here even after the locusts depart. The swarm is a wake-up call. The lament turns our pain into prayers. The church, I just asked you this morning, like, what swarm are you facing? What things are coming at you that you may feel like you're being eaten away at? From as simple as, you know, the Zoom school and the challenges of raising families, the loneliness of singleness in a pandemic, challenges in your love relationships, growing old in a really delicate time. Some of you are like, I'm starving for relationships. Some of you are like, I'm worried about my health. What swarms are you facing? 
Joel is saying, turn it back to God. It's an opportunity. It's a pathway. Lament. Share it with your God. Get on your knees and say, Lord, this thing is hurting. Can you help me be aware that you're here even in the midst of the locust swarm? And that's where we're going to wrap up. That as a church, as we get into this book, let's be honest. We have no idea exactly what's ahead of us for the next several weeks. Things may become challenging. They just might become challenging. And God is calling us in the swarm and in the storm to build our faith. Church, what moves you to the heart of God? God wants genuine change and often for us, breaking is necessary. So as a local church, it's like, you know, we're doing these things. And people are like, well, tell me what you're passionate about. Like, we're working to get, like, black coffee northwest. Like, they're, they're now in our space. They're renting. It's beautiful. But let's be honest. We want more than coffee shop. Like, we're doing, like, drive-in, drive-through, these events. But we want more than church events. We're, you know, doing these online worship. Oh, we're, we're so enthused. There are these house churches and all these people come and talk about their faith and their prayer requests and we take communion together. It's amazing, but we want more than that. Like we want to see God lifted up. We want to see God move in our community in new and powerful ways. We want to be woken up that the things that feel like they're being destroyed and eaten away can in themselves lead us closer to the heart of God. That's what we want. And so we remember the words of Jesus that every branch that doesn't bear fruit is cut away. And John 15, every good branch is also pruned. We've said that from the pulpit, the cutting is necessary. So in the same way, breaking is necessary. And God wants to, to grow our hearts. And so we were studying this week with the lead pastors and Richard has been the senior pastor for 25 years. And someone asked him, Richard, like you're super passionate about Joel. What is it you want the congregation to see? And, and he said this, he says, I, I wrote it down, share it with you now. Followers of Christ need to develop this posture. God, what are you teaching me right now? God, what do you have for me right now in the midst of any challenge I face? In that way, we become disciples that can follow Jesus in the midst of the beautiful sunny day when everything is going well, and also in the midst of the locust swarms. We would obviously prefer to be here, but let's be honest, that both are part of the discipleship journey. And so we want our faith to increase. And if you think back to the ministry of Jesus, it's these people that come to Jesus that know they're broken that always get transformed. I mean, think about it. The centurion that says like, I'm not even worthy to have you in my home, but if you, Jesus, say that my servant could be healed, he'll be healed. And Jesus is like, I've never seen faith like that in Israel. The woman who's bleeding knows that if I just make it through the crowd and touch him, I've tried everything by my own power. 12 years, I've been bleeding, but if I just touch him, that man has life in him and she's healed. Jairus, my daughters, I mean, you start to go through the scriptures. People that know they're broken, they become remade in the image of Christ and dead things start to come to life. And the people of power, and of independence, and, and people are like, ah, I got to kind of figure it out. I want a little bit of Jesus, but just a little bit. They often, they often leave Jesus disappointed. 
So as your pastor, I want to continue to encourage you that broken people and broken places and broken things with broken stories in Jesus get healed. Like, I, I, I am you. Like, we're in this together. Like, there are no superstars here. Like, we need to be remade in the image of Christ. And we preach this, that breaking is necessary in order to be remade in his image. Two things I want to leave you with here. Like, what do I do with this? What do we do with Joel? Like, right now, Scott, like, what do you want me to actually do? The first is this. We must pass our faith on to the next generation. We must. In the midst of provision and security and all the things working out and in the midst of the locust swarm. Verse three of Joel one says, tell it to your children, let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. We must pass on our faith and teach good theology that this Jesus we follow will be the Lord of the sunny and the rainy days. Like live that out and in the hard things, still follow Jesus And teach the people that you shepherd that God has not abandoned you. When we lost our baby boy 11 years ago, we had a neighbor come knock, bring muffins, and then just say, if this is what you get and you're followers of God, I never want to follow that God. But they didn't realize that God is the very life force that kept our marriage alive, that kept my other children sustained, that led us back to worship of him in our worst times. So teach your kids good theology, that God is still God. And sometimes judgment comes in order to awaken us to first love. And the second thing, what do we do with this? In the swarm, turn to God. When things start to swarm and it feels more locust than sunshine, turn to your God. Joel 1.19a, to you, Lord, I call. The call is to respond, to respond to, to the Lord and let every struggle be a chance for your faith to flourish. I was studying Joel this week and one of my theological books is this book of African theology. And it's got all these different stories from, you know, pastors in Nigeria and Kenya and all this. And I was reading this great story in conclusion. And in Nigeria, there was a small village that had been through a locust swarm. They know locusts as a fact of life. And the rains were late. And the crops could not be threatened, uh, could not be planted. And there was a very real chance that life was going to be thwarted by, by, by drought. And so they gathered together in the church to cry out to God for help. They, they literally, and many of you in, have been to Africa, you know, they gathered in the church to, to, to cry out to God in the midst of the, of the struggle to pray for rain. And then they just said, you know, we're going to call on God to do a miracle. And they worshiped and they danced and they prayed and they cried and their lament was a pathway and their judgment was reawakening this worship even in the midst of their struggles. And then it started to rain. And as it started to rain, the, the chief of the village, he pulls out his umbrella and he's like, who else believed that God was going to actually show up today? Nobody else brought the umbrella. So he got to walk home dry and everybody else got soaked. Do you bring an umbrella to that prayer service? Do you believe that God will move even when the drought seems strong? 
This is a challenge to me, friends, as I go into my week in the midst of a challenging time. Am I still calling on God to move in specific ways? Am I believing that my lament can be a pathway? Do I hunger for God's judgment as much as his mercy? Are we becoming a church more and more and more in the image of Christ? Let it rain, and may we be people of faith bringing our umbrella. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for this church and this moment. Would you take these words of Joel over these weeks ahead and help awaken in us awe and mystery and love and worship? God, would you be with the hurting ones, the ones that you feel like, yeah, that locust has just ravaged me. God, would you nourish them and restore them? And would you turn their pain to prayer and let them know they're not alone? God, for the, for the healthy ones, the one with lots of provision right now, would you help them look around and see opportunities to teach this to the next generation or, or to be the practical hands and feet where they can love you, Lord, and love other people. May we be a church that's being formed more in your image. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.